Tony, here's the question I know everyone listening wants to know. Who ranks one, two, and three in ball lab quality control results? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 80 of No Putts Given. We've got quite an announcement today uh, coming out of Ball Lab, but first, let's take care of some business with distance irons. We have Adam, Tony, and here. What is everyone laughing at? Uh, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, let's get it. How much you get paid, Tony? (laughs) Yeah, tell us. What is that... What does that earn somebody? Same as everything else. <laughs> we're not going to ban you from the masters, but we're just mm. going to give you a permanent spot on no putts given. <laughs> well, guys, we do have some important things to talk about today. I mentioned the comparison tool that we're gonna, going to be announcing. Uh, it's launching tomorrow, actually. But first, players' distance irons went out on Monday. I want to go through those. Harry, I know you've got the rundown of the mm-hmm. top five. What do we got this year? All right, boys and girls. Number one spot went to Mizuno MP20 HMB. The hot mother bitch. Yes, that's what they, that is actually what they should call it. It was among leaders in strokes gained for long and short iron, which is the long iron is the five iron, short iron is going to be pitch and wedge, and mid is going to be a seven iron. I rated highly on looks and design, which a lot of Mizunos always do among our testers. So. Shocking. And I'm going to throw in feel as well. They love that feel of the Mizuno, just like everyone else. And then we'll go to second place, which is the TaylorMade P770. Uh, again, this is another phenomenal looking iron. They stepped up the game this year, in my personal opinion. It looks really, really good. And this was a positive strike gained in short, mid and long iron. Uh, it was a leader in strokes gained for that mid-iron section. Testers highly praised the looks, <laughs> as I alluded to there too. Uh, then you got third place, which is the Mizuno JPX 921 Hot Metal Pro. Say that when you're drunk. But uh, it was leader in strokes gained for long iron. It was best total distance. And uh, testers remarked on its feel. Again, Mizuno feel, correlation. Fourth place, Mizuno JPX 921 Forged. I mean, Mizuno, I guess, make a good iron. <laughs> I'm saying there's a chance. There's a chance. Among the leaders in strokes gained for mid-iron, uh, it was highly recommended for looks and feel, as Mizunos always do. And then, rounding out our top five, we have Zecobra Forgetech Copper. Now, this is not the one that... Ricky Fowler is using that copper. No one, no one plays that iron, and no, no one, one should ever play that. <laughs> no, that little zero offset copper blade kind of. I do use it when I put butter on my toast. It's a great <laughs> butter knife. It is really good. Uh, so this, uh, the ForgeTech copper was among the leaders in strokes gained for mid iron, uh, and among the leaders in total distance. So that's your top five. Bang bang! Thank you, ma'am. All right. Thank you very much. Well done. Those were well introduced. You're welcome. Um, So I want to bring a question to the panel. Uh, We just got the top five distance irons, but let's roll it back a little bit. Give our listeners some education if they came here for that. But Adam, why would a golfer choose a player's distance iron? What type of golfer is a player's distance iron built for? Well, I mean, I think they were smart in naming the category player's distance because the word distance sells and I think it makes up about 18 to 20% of our readership right now is playing, um, you know, or has bought in the last year, a player's distance set of irons. It's ranked third 
in player, you know, iron categories uh, overall. And I think that's trending up. And I think it's trending up because they feel really good. This hollow body category is trending up as well. And they go a long way. Is that the best for players? You know, it's, it's hard to say because distance, obviously, with strokes gained, you know, it's all about distance, distance, distance. The problem is when you start to get into that lower part of the set of irons, when you start to have these bigger gaps, you can fill those gaps with more wedges and more other things, right? But it's a transition, I think, right now. Player's distance, I think, is going to be the future. I think it's going to start replacing other things that, you know, less and less people are going to be playing blades. Less and less people will be playing muscle backs, probably. And I think the manufacturers will get better and better at probably making it the right option for golfers moving forward. Tony, is there a certain skill level that players distance irons are built for, or maybe they shouldn't be playing players distance irons if you're a certain type of golfer? Yeah, it's it's kind of the category itself is is still evolving, right? So you look at, at some things like, you know, P770 is a good example, and you can contrast that with TaylorMade's other uh, players distance iron the p790 right those are those are both players distance but they kind of live at the opposite end of the category p770 trends towards the better player p790 is i think is probably a fair assessment of where the category started uh, adam i think used the word transitional and in fact before there was a player's distance category we used the the word the phrase transitional category transitional iron category to describe clubs that that kind of existed in the space between a player's cavity back club and what you would consider game improvement. So kind of a tweener iron. And, and over time, that tweener space has evolved and become what is now called player's distance. So it's, you know, you get kind of more of the look of a better player's iron. You get the speed often from either you know, some combination of, of strong lofts and, and thin face construction made possible by the hollow body. And, and you typically get a little more forgiveness, and in some cases a lot more forgiveness than you would get from the player's category. And you can get all that without having to get into something that you know somebody would tell you looks like a shovel, has a lot of offset, is really big, something like that. So it's a comfortable category for a lot of people because it's, it's one of those things, right? It's kind of the Goldilocks effect, right? This one's, this one's too little, this one's too big, this one's just right. Yeah, and I think when I went in there and tested them just you know randomly, as I try to every year, just hit what's out there. They just feel good. You know what I mean? Like they feel really good and they go really far. And, you know, you see older golfers, older testers come in there. You see their youth coming back a little bit, right? They feel like that blade, that nice feeling, you know, Mizuno, but they still are like, whoa, these are 15 yards longer than the 10 yard irons I'm playing. Golfers like that. So you can miss a little bit. Yeah, you, you, can, yeah. you can miss a little bit. We're seeing an in-between. So we've went to players distance and game improvement and super game improvement players. But now we're seeing a couple of looks like a player's distance iron or in-between a player's distance and the game improvement, but has a loft of a player's distance. So we're really, we're, st we're starting to see categories within these categories when it comes to <laughs> this. Stop it. So yeah, I mean, players distance the old guys, what I see in here, they, they really do enjoy seeing that distance come back. However, they do slightly launch a little bit lower and lower spinning. So yes, you get the distance, but you might not be holding those greens when, when firing them in. But some of these golfers don't really care about that. So yeah, the problem I always see is, you know, you know, it's that trap pit, you know, front trap placement, right? Where the pin is tucked right behind the bunker. Um, 
you know, with these irons, you're less likely to hit a good shot, think it's going to be up near the pin. When you drive your cart up there, it's going to be at the back of the green, yeah. right? It's gives and takes. Yeah, it's a fitting question like anything else. Any, yep. and, and we do find, especially with, with slower swing speed golfers, when you get into the, the stronger lofts and the uh, kind of that, that low spin place, they, there is an issue sometimes generating either the height necessary to get that, that descent angle, angle steep enough to stop the ball or enough spin to stop the ball. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you don't have enough speed to convert that s- the static loft of the golf club into dynamic loft and leverage the design, it, it's tricky. But we also have to acknowledge there, there are a lot of guys who are entirely comfortable. And the, the shot Adam describes is a great example of, of where it may not work. But, but you do have guys who, who aren't necessarily trying to land everything on the green. They're at least comfortable and maybe even prefer to to play a style I'm trying to land it in the ob kickoff yeah. to the left yeah, well, that's get it. into Hit the a rough pole. but the <laughs> idea of like you can you can la- it's okay sometimes to land it short of a green and and roll it on or oh yeah you know, for sure if you, if you land it on the green and roll it to the back of the green that's that's not the worst thing either it all depends on if the elevated greens if they're upside down sources it all depends on where you play to be honest well, I think I think one thing we can probably all agree on: the players' distance category is probably here to stay, whether oh, people that's, like yeah, it or not. Oh, that's like for it sure. Not. Yeah. At the moment, currently dominated by Mizuno, they took three of the top five spots. And Harry, mm-hmm. you said on each one of them, testers love the feel, and if that's what distance irons are about, the feel, Mizuno's got it cornered. Well, Mizu- that's Mizuno's mo. That's the go-to. Everyone is yeah, forever. We have the best feeling irons in in the in the industry. I mean, that's just. And it translates. Adam, we recently put out a survey to our readers and got some really interesting information back that about 20% of our readers play a Mizuno iron, which mirrors the results of our test. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we did a reader's choice survey. Um, and what we found is two times as many My Golf Spy readers play Mizuno irons as the typical golfer, right? And I think that is because we trend towards a little bit more of the gearhead and the gearhead trends a little bit more to Mizuno. And the cool thing too was the number one played iron by my golf spy readers is, is Mizuno. The number two is TaylorMade. And who finished first? Mizuno. Who finished second? TaylorMade. So it was just one of those cool things to see. Tony, what did you think about the results and kind of putting them next to the survey that we did? It's always interesting to, to kind of see where our readers deviate from the market as a whole so as adam mentioned so in our survey you know we're responses are tr- still trickling in but i think i think we're going to settle with mizuno being of, of purchases made within the last year right about 20 percent of those from our readers will be will have been mizuno irons compared to the market as a whole mizuno runs currently somewhere around 10 percent so Basically, 2x the market as a whole, and I you know, trace that to, to one of those kind of if you know, you know kind of situations. And certainly Mizuno doesn't do the, the volume of advertising. They're not in your face as often as, as TaylorMade, Callaway, and some of the others are. But it's, just, it's, it's a quality product that seems to perform in our test especially well, like year after year after year. And it's personally speaking, as I move between irons, try different things, it's always like, I'm going to try this and Mizuno, or that and Mizuno. Like the, the constant is Mizuno and everything kind of, you know, there's like a, a system that revolves around it, but that's that's the one thing I seem to always come back to. It really becomes a question of, if you're going out and buying a new set of irons, 
why wouldn't Mizuno at least be the number one thing you try first? Right. How about other iron categories, though? Does Mizuno do as well as they do in players' distance in game improvement, super game improvement? So I would say, you know, they do traditionally very well in the players' categories. So, And if you look historically, right, the MP line has been almost exclusively a, a player's iron. Uh, JPX has been kind of in that transitional space more than anything else, right? And it wasn't until you started getting into the hot metal uh, where Mizuno really dabbled successfully in the in the game improvement category. I mean, I always throw out JPX Easy as a as an example of where Mizuno dabbled unsuccessfully in game improvement. But I think they've evolved their line. So you know, once upon a time they were a better players brand, and they didn't necessarily resonate with the game improvement player. And I think you're starting to see that now with with Hot Metal and and Hot Metal Pro, which we tested in the in the players distance category. But that one's kind of right on the line where you could argue players distance, you could argue game improvement. So I, I think it kind of expanding its reach a little bit, but uh, in historical terms, it's been regarded as a better player's brand. And I think, I think some of that has hurt them in the game improvement category to a degree. But, but as I said, they are, they are making gains there. How, how cool is it though? Like you, I mean, if you got one iron, one iron in our top five for performance, that's something, right? Like people, I would be super proud of that if I had produced an iron. But to get three in the top five, that's pretty crazy, yeah, you know? that's great. They know what they're doing for sure. Harry, what's Philip working on now? What are testers coming in and testing at the moment? What's next? Uh, we're in game improvement irons right now. So the one above player's distance, a little bit stronger lofted than the player's distance, a little bit more bulky um, and a lot more forgiven too. So yeah, that's a, that's a good iron. A little bit of a challenging test because the game improvement category has become almost this catch-all wild wild west category so within most of the categories we test we have a relatively narrow range on the lofts of the irons and relatively narrow range on the on the length when you get into to game improvement the definition of game improvement industry-wide is so all over the map mm. i think it's eventually going to segment where you're you're going to see a, a split between traditional game improvement and and what essentially becomes the game improvement version of the player's distance category where you have these extraordinary within the game improvement race strong lofted irons hollow body but big big things built for forgiveness and to go a long way versus a game improvement traditional which is really kind of this forgiveness first so you know, think of it distance first versus forgiveness first but yeah it's it's kind of a, a wild category it's certainly a lot of fun to see how it shakes out all right, we'll be on the lookout for, for that. But first, we are linking the article um, to the player's distance irons here so you can check out the top five, see what will fit you best. Um, but Tony, I'm going to come to you now. I, I see I see the Vero balls. Um, but something a little bit more awesome that we've got to talk about, Ball Lab has finally reached the point that we can launch the comparison tool so everybody can take a look at balls one through how many have you done? Uh, you know, we're at least... <laughs> um, you know, we got to do some, some, you know, kind of the last piece of the inspection process, but you know, we're upwards of, of 50 balls that are a long way towards being done and probably 30 plus that are. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of golf balls. <laughs> it is, but can you tell me about how important it's going to be for our readers or anybody who is looking to play a new ball to be able to look in a ball lab article and compare that ball to the field. Now it's not just an article about the ball itself anymore. 
we're putting a tool in there that you can see the way that every ball ranks from one to 50 plus however many it ends up being when you're done. Yeah, it was one of those things like we we knew we wanted to get there eventually and we wanted to see kind of what the reader response was and, and what you know, kind of what was being asked for. And so we came up with this idea of a, a relatively simple comparison tool. And I want to be clear, this is like, this is Rev1. It's going to evolve. We're going to add things to it. It'll change potentially based on reader feedback as, as we get some kind of cool ideas and, and figure out exactly where to take it. But fundamentally, it's just a simple chart so you can look and go, all right, from the quality perspective, where do all these balls rank? And we've put in some filters so you can narrow it down by, you know, for example, ionomer or urethane covers. You can specify a price range you're looking for. You can look at specific brands. And what it does is is take our metrics and, and lay them out in a reasonably simple consumer report style, right? Like little icons for, for poor, good, fair, average, whatever it happens to be. For our main metrics, we show you uh, kind of what the good ball percentage was, and ideally you want that to be high, and and kind of the big change um, that I think I think is going to resonate. I think it's going to make it a lot easier to use and understand is we're we're transitioning away from our true price metric. I thought it was a really cool metric, but it, it just didn't it didn't work for everybody. So now we're we're going with a a very simple overall out of 100 scoring system. So you'll be able to see, hey, all right, if if this one is a 92 and and this one is a 67, you're going to have a pretty good idea which one of those is uh, you know, scored better for quality in in our lab tests. So Again, just just trying to keep it really simple out of the gate. We'll see what the feedback is and kind of evolve it and and take it where we can. And at some point, you know, we're talking about doing another performance test. So we'll have uh, hopefully get some performance data in there uh, and some other stuff I got kind of bouncing around in my head as well. So, you know, take a look when it launches tomorrow and um, or if you're viewing this a day late, check it out now. And um, it is launching on Wednesday of this week, (laughs) no matter when you watch. Adam, I'm putting myself in the shoes of one of our readers who say, um, I don't know, plays a Bridgestone ball. I imagine them coming to our website, seeing the comparison tool and saying, all right, where does my ball rank? Is that what you're imagining for this tool? Well, first, backing up, I guess, two years ago, we started this when we did a golf ball test, right? And we found all kinds of things that said, all right, this is weird. My golf ball now has to move into the golf ball space because there are some weird things going on here. So we came out with Find It, Cut It. Then we came out with, you know, we invested heavily into a ball lab. Fast forward now, right? All of that culminated in this tool. And this tool is built for consumers. And think about it as two ways. There's a ball test for performance. And then there's a ball lab for quality control. And both matter, right? You can have a ball that performs really well, that has shitty quality control. And at the end of the day, it's going to be an inconsistently performing ball. You can have a great performing ball that's consistent, Both matter, and this is going to tell you which balls do that best. Now to your question, if I'm a Bridgestone player, there is no other place on the internet that you're going to be able to find anywhere. How does my ball compare to every other ball from a quality control standpoint? This is the only place you're going to get it, and I think that's really cool because it's going to be helpful for consumers to know how good of a ball they're playing, but two, I think it's a checks and balances for the industry too to see this is going to be publicly out there for people to see. And I think you have already seen companies probably talking to the factories about getting their shit together a little more in regards to checking more balls. 
But I think this is going to push that a little bit further. And that's what my golf buy is here for, right? It's to be a checks and balances for the consumer. Harry, you've switched the ball. You've played a couple of times in the past. I let's say year, year and a half. Do you wish you had had something like this comparison tool when you first started trying to figure out what ball is going to work best for you from a quality control standpoint? Is it something that you would utilize? Oh, for sure. I mean, before I came to my golf spy and was surrounded with so many options of golf balls, I would pay a lot of money for X amount of golf balls. If I would go look at, I would go find my golf balls in the bushes as a kid because I couldn't afford to go buy them. Um, but if I had a choice to narrow it down with consistency and and now knowing how much an off-center core or a defect in a ball can can change my dynamic on my my swing instead of going three yard draw it's now a you know 25 yard draw it's huge so consistency wise it's a great tool to for me to go in there and say all right i want the most consistent ball and then it'll pop up with whatever balls they are and then i can narrow my choice down from there instead of having 50 different choices i've now got three if you, I think if you want to know if this tool is important or not, ask yourself the question, if you buy any other consumer good, a lawnmower, a car, a whatever, there's generally somewhere where you can check the quality control of that thing you're buying, right? In golf, there isn't that for many things. So I think it's a no-brainer to have. And I, I think it will evolve over time. And I think it will become a bigger part of what people just check before they go buy a new dozen moving mm -hmm. forward, hopefully. Tony, here's the question I know everyone listening wants to know. Who ranks one, two, and three currently in Ball Lab quality control results? I think, I think it's Left Dash, Pro V1X, and is it MaxFly? I doubt the, the MaxFly Tour did, did really well for us as well. I believe so. So, yeah, I mean, we see a lot of Titleists near the top. And, you know, at this point, I've come to expect it, but there's some other good stuff in there as well. And it's, you know, it's not light years better, if we're being brutally honest, right? It's just a little bit better. And that's that's kind of how things are. How are the uh, DTC brands when it comes to quality control? You know, this is, this is kind of one of these things where I think, you know, as we continue to get more and more data and more models in here, you know, I've come to believe that that quality control, by and large, is a factory level thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I'll use Foremost as an example, because um, a lot of the balls we test come out of Foremost. They make they make the Maxfly balls, they make the Wilson balls, they make the Vice balls, <laughs> Encore balls. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, do it right. <laughs> anyway, um, so all that stuff is coming out of Foremost, and that's a case. You know, speaking specifically about that factory, some things that's not universally true, right? We do have some models where it doesn't necessarily apply, but looking over now, you know, probably, you know, multiple, multiple dozens of uh, foremost balls, we can say, for example, that they tend to struggle with weight consistency. So I would expect to see that. And, and what I would say is about that factory in particular, they make a generally good ball. Weight can be a little inconsistent. And every now and then you will get a box that is an absolute disaster. That's a very interesting point to make that it might not be as 
brand related as it is factory related. And if these brands are choosing certain factories to manufacture their balls, that makes as much difference as any specific brand's dedication to quality control. I think that's a great point, Miranda. I mean, these brands are somewhat reliant almost completely Mm -hmm. on the factor they choose. The logo might be the logo. You think that's the company, right? Right. The majority of these companies aren't making their own balls. Some other factory is. So they rely heavily on the quality control that's coming out of that factory. And mm-hmm. But it is, it is to mention that there are com- DTC companies out there that have that do design their own balls from start to finish, but they, the factory makes it, correct? Well, I mean... Define design, I guess, is the yeah. right question. Well, you look at Dean Snell. Dean Snell, you know, designs all of his golf balls from... Dean Dean designs balls, but again, he's not he's not designing covers, right? That that tends no, to be no, no. That's that's another thing. Is covers is different, yeah. And and a lot of times too, you have this idea of like you know we design the ball, and it's really like hey, you know, can you we we like the stock ball, can you tweak it just a little bit and and make it do this thing a little bit differently? So it's at, very often is a, at at most a co design. But again, I it's one of those things where. I don't think the average golfer necessarily cares whose name is on the patents or whether or not there actually are patents. Um, it's just so much about, hey, you know, what what am I getting for my money? Is it is it performing well? And that's why so many of the questions we get are, you know, what what's the best ball I can get for X amount of money? So that there's always a price consideration, and you know, that's I'm becoming more more aware of that, trying to be more respectful of that as we kind of talk about golf balls and and how we go about it, but. Yeah, so certainly bringing it all around, it's it's definitely interesting to look at some things at the factory level as well. And you know, we're gonna we're definitely gonna be doing a little bit more of that, specifically around the Pro V1X, right? As we have this unusual case where Titleist is now shipping balls from from three different factories. That was my next question. What did where does Titleist manufacture their balls? Or do they have their own independent factory or they're working with a third party? Yeah. Under normal conditions in normal times, the overwhelming majority of balls that you will buy on a retail shelf in the United States are made, if we're talking Pro V1, Pro V1X, made at Ball Plant 3 in, in New Bedford, Mass. Now, with, with COVID, okay. there were extended shutdowns. And that's not Titleist exclusive, right? Or it is? Uh, it is, yeah. That it is. is Titleist exclusive. Okay. Yeah, Titleist makes only Titleist balls, and that's store. Okay. Uh, Titleist umbrella balls. What about, yeah, I was going to say the... the- Green pinnacle, yeah, green, Union whatever. Green, the, it's all Union Green. So, so Union Green is made in a closet at Ball Plant <laughs> Number. <laughs> that's not Tylus. That's a Kushnet. Uh, correct. Kushnet. Correct. So we did with our Pro V1 sample, for example, the new model. Um, we've measured. We haven't cut yet. When I lay those out on on a chart similar to what we put in the Pro V1X post, there's no, there's nothing in those graphs that that would would give you any indication that any of those balls were made at a different factory. We haven't checked anything out of ball plant four yet. So we're, we're looking in to get some of those and, and see kind of how those, how those fall on our gauges and see if there's, there's anything there. So that, that's a curiosity. And again, it's for me, it's, which is kind of some nerdy shit for sure, but it sounds like district nine or it, it kind yeah. of goes, it goes, it what, what's like, it, what's the, is that film um, where you have all the districts, district 12, 11, like, it sounds the like Hunger that. games. Hunger Games. There you go. <laughs> the reason I was asking Tony um, whether Titleist has an exclusive factory that they own and operate was because, oops, they just went out of business. And now you have to choose another ball to play for the rest of your life. Are you choosing Callaway or TaylorMade? <laughs> 
How come I don't get to choose Bridgestone? Because it's uh, not one of the choices. Um, would you choose Bridgestone? You see what he did, Miranda? I see, see what, what he did. did. Uh-huh. But would you choose Bridgestone over Callaway or TaylorMade? Oh, that's tough. Like, so... Miranda, don't let him weasel no, his I'm way out curious. of this question. I'm, I, he, he created a curiosity. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to explain my answer. I would. All right, hold on. No, you don't get to explain your answer. You would play Bridgestone, but if you had to pick Callaway or TaylorMade, what would you play? I would lean towards <laughs> TaylorMade. I would lean. For I, the rest of your life, Tony, you're marrying this ball. Oh, God. You got to say vows and everything. God. That's not even a fair question. Yeah, it I, is. It's right? hundred percent. Yes or no? I guess all I can say is, based on the information I have collected to date, I would have to take TaylorMade. All right. I would love to have seen when Tony asked his wife to marry him. <laughs> how that went? Like how? Wait, I don't get that one. That's not one of the options. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring back to something. I think I said it on last week's show. I say it a lot. The, the one way to be wrong in golf is to give an absolute answer. <laughs> so, All right. Adam, how about you? Callaway or TaylorMade? Oops, Titleist is out of business. Can I pick um, no. a different ball? I'm just <laughs> no. kidding. Oh, Taylor, TaylorMade. Did, did Shrixon go out of business? Did Like what happened? What, what world event? <laughs> led us to a place here's where- the world event we're on a podcast and the host asks you a simple question to answer so, i mean there's an irony in this because i talk about all the time i won't mention anybody by name here but we have an r&d contact that i bounce stuff off of all the time and in going on 10 years of asking him questions he has never given me a straight answer and it <laughs> and that's why you two guys should be great friends because i know who you're talking about and you are correct and <laughs> i've had those same conversations with that guy as i have with you and you never get an answer uh, uh harry okay the world stops turning gets hit by a meteor you know titleist doesn't exist are you playing callaway or TaylorMade? TaylorMade. I actually like the TP5. I need an explanation. All right, Titleist doesn't exist. We'll move on from that. All right? He can't. He can't do it. We'll him back. But how come I have to lock in my choice for the rest of my life? Is there some other simultaneous event, which means like no other balls evolve, like we are locked at this particular point in time? Again, the same thing. Why do you have to lock in the choice for your wife for the rest of your life? Like, that's just the game. That's how we play this. That is the game, isn't it? (laughs) It's Hunger Games. (laughs) All right. Well, Tony, I'll make this a little bit easier on you. I thought we'd play a little Q&A. We put out a Twitter question yesterday and got some awesome responses from people. Um, So I won't lock you into only having to pick two choices on this one, but we'll run through. It's going to be rapid fire. You get about 10 to 15 seconds to answer one question a person. Are you ready? 11 team. Okay. I'm not quite sure how to say this guy's name, but Ponolar Bear is how I'm going to go with it. Um, Ponolar Bear? Wants to know what is the best cheap golf ball? Now, What's your definition of cheap, and then what is your answer? Yeah, so if, if cheap is below twenty dollars, it is it's really tough to beat a Kirkland. Once you get into high twenties, if you're buying in bulk, go with a Snell. So, and I think that's probably that probably covers either definition of cheap. Well done. That was a very succinct Man. answer. I'm so Boom. proud of you. That will be the way I do every phone call in the future with Tony. Tony, you have ten or fifteen seconds. Go yeah. rapid fire. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Okay, Adam, I'm coming to you for this one. Emmy Brodsky, me Brodsky or something. I'm going to get so many emails on how to say these things, your Twitter handles, but they want to know what's the most overrated feature on the golf balls in today's market? 
it's tough. I think the word soft probably is the mm. most overrated thing because really quickly, people care about feel the most. That's why the word soft relates to what people think is feel. So they put it on everything and it really isn't true. All right, Harry, I've got one for you. How much can a good choice of ball change my game? He's a 20 handicap. She, he. A little bit, I would say. I mean, you can get a, such a cheap ball out there, which is like a three or four piece, really good ball, like Tony said, like a Kirkland. Don't ever go for a two piece or a one piece, and that's a a, a <laughs> pool ball, <laughs> like a snooker ball or something like that. Don't ever go for one of those. But yeah, I mean, it, it can help your game a little bit, but until you know how to generate spin and do all these kind of things that you need around the green, just go play golf. All right, let's see. Tony, I'm going to give you one more. This is We've sort of talked about this, but Tommy Lee 29 wants to know which golf ball is the most consistent. In, in our test, especially, you know, just looking at the data coming off the gauges, Titleist balls tend to be really, really consistent. I would say it's uniquely true from the, the super premium stuff down to the inexpensive stuff. Uh, Titleist is really consistent. Any of the major brands are are pretty good. The new Callaway stuff even looks pretty good initially. So, you know, there, there's a case to be made if you want the absolute tightest quality control. I, you know, I'm, I'm lean towards Titleist, but that's not to say that you know, there aren't performance reasons you would go in another direction because it's all still pretty good. All right. Adam, Graham Linger says, what's the real number one ball in gold? I think he means golf. I mean, look, you know, behind the scenes, we've talked about this for two years, <laughs> Tony and I, and, you know, people can say whatever they want. Titles, when you see this tool come out, you'll see for yourself it's titles. All right. The actual number one ball in golf is is what I find. Well, yeah, the number one ball played in golf is the number is the ball found in the woods or wherever you find it. But the number one quality control ball, and it, it's titleist, and it's how many balls out of the top five are titleist balls? Yeah, three. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was three. And it'll be really interesting as we start adding balls and, you know, like I said, ball plant four is a curiosity, so we'll see. But Well, two years of testing, three out of the top five. We'll, we'll keep testing. All right, Harry, this one's my favorite question. It made me laugh when I saw it come in. Um, Justin Higa wants to know, is playing a yellow ball affecting my score or am I just trash? <laughs> it might it, it depends it might be destroying your uh, reputation um, but uh, no unless unless you're playing a mat ball that's yellow that might it's going to change your performance in different conditions friends don't let friends play mat balls yeah don't don't do that but for the most part no it doesn't really change uh anything in performance just don't play a mat ball you know, as much as I, I, I am a, a left dash guy now and experimenting with a, another couple of balls in that high compression space, if, if somebody came out with, you know, something around 90 compression in a bright red non-matte urethane, I'd be like, man, because, you know, you get older, that ability to track the ball downrange, like that start, you start to be like, ah. That's what I was going to say, because some golfers see the yellow ball a lot better looking down at it. So, yeah, it's whatever floats your boat, you know? Tony's right, though. The red ball for me was a game changer, you know? Hmm. I mean, it really is easy to see on the golf course. You know what's really, really weird to see on a golf course? Are you going to say that yellow and pink one? The pink and white one from Strixon. Oh, the, the, oh. the Strixon, yeah. 
Dude, it looks it looks awful coming off the tee, doesn't it, Harry? It looks like a lopsided. Yeah, it doesn't look like it flies correctly. It's wonky. It's really weird. Great for when you're putting because you can really line it up and you can see where your stroke's going. But off that tee, it looks bleh. it doesn't it doesn't it's not for me. A lot of guys love it for practice, like around the green yeah. and things like that, because you can really kind of get a feel for what they do, what it's doing. But uh, going out and playing with it, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I've, I haven't tried it on the golf course, so it was weird. It even caught my eye as being like, "Oh, that's that's just it's very strange." All right, guys. Well, thank you for playing a round of rapid fire questions with me and Tony for sticking to the rules of ten to fifteen seconds. And <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still back on the. On the meteor event or whatever the hell that was. I can't I It can't happens move past sometimes. It. This is no putts given. That's how it rolls. Uh, we cannot link to the comparison tool until it launches. So if you're watching this on um, Tuesday, it won't be there yet. However, you can check back on Wednesday for a link to go look at the comparison tool launch. We're going to put that up there as soon as we can. I would just like to say thank a big thank you to Tony for doing Ball Lab for the last couple of years. This has been a major, major undertaking that I don't think people understand behind the scenes what went into this. Tons of phone calls, right? Lots of investing in buying equipment, lots of research and uh, talking to the people in the industry, making sure we were doing this thing the right way. And a lot of time on Tony's part to measure all these balls, uh, to come up with a system to do them all to be improving on these because at one point we had to throw away a lot of data um, and start over because of one of the devices we had wasn't working. So this has been a two-year undertaking on Tony's part and I'm super appreciative that he did it because it wasn't it wasn't some small chop a ball open, check out the center of the core thing. This was let's dive deeper and actually try to change this for for the better, you know? It's been fun, kind of, but I mean, it is right evolution and and so much of what we do here is evolution. So, you know, ball lab kind of started with you pressing me and saying, all right, how do we do a, how do we do a golf ball test performance test? Right. And what we saw during that test was eye opening. And so we started cutting and, you know, quickly realized talking to people and, and just kind of thinking it through on our own that, all right, this is, that's a hell of a good start, but it, it's not enough. We need to do more. And then that's where the, the snowball really picked up momentum is having those conversations. What do we need to do? How do we do it? Where do we, where do we get the tools? How do we use the tools? Um, yeah. yeah. It's it's and, just a, it's, it's a compliment to the whole team. And I think, I don't think people realize, right? Like yeah. I've said it once before, Tony, and you were like, man, that's the best way to put it. When it comes to our driver tests or iron tests, you either do five shots or you do 10,000. There's no reason to do six. There's no reason to do 5,000. You either do it one way or you do it right, right? And when it came to Ball Lab, there was this, we can keep doing it or we can do it right. And to do it right, we had to go, all right, clock starts now. And we know what we're doing isn't going to actually be public facing for two years, you know? Yeah. You know, kudos to Tony for putting in the work. And uh, I think it's a super valuable tool to every golfer that gets to check it out. Do you remember when I was calling you every week saying, hey, when's Ball Lab going to go? When's Ball Lab ready? Uh, when yeah. can we do and Ball Lab? Like, <laughs> um, next, <laughs> next year, next year, next year. Really, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, right? If you're you're building a comparison scale and trying to base quality on, on how a given ball compares to a market average for different quality metrics, 
you, you can't start with three balls. <laughs> it's kind of like you really, right. you know, we felt like we needed to, before we could publish really anything, we needed to get at least gauge data for 30 golf balls. It's been a time suck, but hopefully a worthwhile one. I, I hope people enjoy it. I hope they appreciate it. I hope they get value out of it more than anything else. We'll start to show a little bit more of the process and what goes into it, but it's, um, it, it's not a five minute deal. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, one other thing I think we need to address too, because we get the question a lot is, you know, I want a ball test. I want a ball test. I want a ball test, right? Yeah, we understand, you know, um, we did the ball test in 2019. The reason why we didn't do one last year was multiple reasons. Pandemic aside, Mm -hmm. not enough new balls get released every year, believe it or not, to have a new ball test. So this is a two-year life cycle for actual performance tests versus ball lab tests, right? So we're going to do another golf ball test this year. Um, just so everybody knows that. And, you know, we're scheduling that now. I can't give you a published date, but it will be in the second half of the year. Ball Lab Performance Tests will be coming out this year and Ball Lab Tool will be out tomorrow. So tip of the cap, Tony. Nice work. Thank you, sir. And, um, you know, we'll be onward and upward to probably some other project. (laughs) I'm I'm actually trying to avoid coming up with stupid time-consuming ideas for the next little while. Yeah, right. Don't eat, don't eat any sandwiches, okay? Yeah, no sandwiches. <laughs> Guys, it's been a great show. I appreciate you being here, and we out.